We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Good to see you again. Uh, those of you who are here and those of you who are skiving at home with some f- feeble excuse of COVID or something like that. Especially you, Avril. We know you're playing. <laughs> anyway, it's, uh, I hope all of you are, are going to be uh, meeting with God today and uh, in what we've got to share. Uh, I'll try and keep it to a reasonable timing uh, and make sure we're finished by kick-off next week uh, for, the, for the game. And, uh, and there we go. I'm going to tell you a bit about what's happening for, or happened for Jenny and I since we last saw you in a minute, but I want to start off with something else first. Uh, and, uh, because that, that will explain for those of you who don't know us, again, whether you're at home or here, we'll give a bit of a background to what's happening with us. Uh, might be helpful. But first of all, I want to just continue on from the, uh, the worship. Apart from one thing, this is a request, because I know you've got very talented musicians and uh, singers, and Mark doing a thing again. Can, I just thought, I just, someone one day would in, inverse that song about uh, I'll stand with arms high and heart surrendered. Because I just went, no, he died with arms high and heart surrendered. You know? <laughs> uh, can someone, I'm sure you can do it, that's what I'm saying. What would that song look like if it was from Jesus to us? Because that always moves me deeply, because that's how I think of it. You know, his soul for you surrendered. And you guys are brilliant. Please do it. When we next come, if we're ever invited back, uh, I want that version. <laughs> if you could, is that right? Just put it, put it out there. Uh, the other thing was the other song about the miracles stuff. Uh, you know, the fact that God works, whether we feel things or not. One of the interesting things when you travel a lot, some of the places where I see the most miraculous stuff happen and the obvious presence of God, there is no atmosphere whatsoever. In some senses, it's almost as an anti-atmosphere because <laughs> you're in the middle of nowhere, uh, everybody's trudged for miles and it, it, people are working through the, the dirt and the heat uh, and some pretty awful food sometimes, but God's still working. And as a friend of mine said, you know, you know the sun is shining whether it's covered by clouds or not. And it's particularly pertinent to us in the UK, because sometimes we, 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 we're responding to the cloud cover or the lack of cloud cover. You know, oh, it feels sunny or not sunny. No, the sun's shining anyway, <laughs> no matter what's happening in life. And it's important to remember that. And I want to tell two stories that I was prompted by in the worship team of different sorts. A friend of mine that we call Big John uh, in South Africa, I work with on team there. Uh, his name's John and he's very big. Just say, that, you know, deep meaning to his name there. Uh, but anyway, Big John, he has a diagnosis nearly 30 years ago now of bone marrow cancer, and he was given five months to live. Now, he is in the strange position now. He's still alive, very much alive and going very well, but not cured, just miraculously sustained. Now, don't ask me to explain that. I'm just telling you that's what it is. It's just incredible. It does. And he regularly prays for people with cancer, and they get it miraculously healed like that. And uh, this is not a cancer healing thing. This is, uh, he was telling us, he was in Port Elizabeth recently, uh, which is in South Africa, and he was in a meeting where uh, a man who is now 38 had a terrible stroke when he was in his early 20s and could no longer speak uh, or walk or move his arms or do any of those things. And they came to the end of the time they were having there, and he was just sat in a chair, dribbling, to be honest. He just seemed to be just dead. And uh, they decided to pray, and they did the normal things, you know, bless everybody. It was, it was a nice prayer. 
if you could put it that way. And, uh, and John said, and please, Lord, look after Andrew uh, and you know, bring healing to him. It was like that. It wasn't sort of a super faith one. And he opened his eyes, and they all opened their eyes, and they said, right, we're going to go for a walk now. They didn't look at Andrew, but he suddenly stood up and said, great, where are we going? <laughs> Completely and miraculously healed of everything, right? The following Monday, they went into the hospital to check out. There was no even sign that he'd ever had brain damage. All the scars had gone too. Now, so, but I'm going to tell you a different miracle story now. <laughs> it's a sad one, really, because, but it's still nonetheless a miracle story. The other day, we were on a Zoom call, uh, not like this one, which is a pleasure to be here, but uh, a friend of ours had uh, died in very sad circumstances. This young couple, they got married just uh, about three years previously. Their first child was born with a heart defect. They'd gone through three surgeries. Uh, and that child seemed to be doing fine. They had the second child, and everything seemed to be fine until they live in Zimbabwe, by the way. Uh, uh, they had, there was complications. And long story short, two weeks later, she was dead, leaving a husband and two little children, one of whom already had complications. And uh, they got people praying from all over the world because she was in a coma state for a while. Uh, and usually, I, I, I know Christians mean well, but I wish they'd hear God sometimes, because you get all sorts of platitudes. I'm sure meant well, uh, and I'm sure in the midst of that, some, some things that were of God. Anyway, she was seemingly, uh, I don't know what you do with words like this, seemingly recovering, and I remember praying for her, uh, and I just felt, I hate this feeling when God does this to me. I thought, no, she's not coming back. Now, you don't share that word. Just let everybody carry on. Maybe it's my problem, but I mean, that's... Anyway, at the, at the uh, memorial service, uh, there were lots of people who stood up and shared the normal things, but the thing that blew us away, Jenny and I, was when her husband stood up to speak. And he, he started off by saying, just so you know, we can be real here, because sometimes, again, what bugged us about this memorial was a lot of people were saying, God is good, all the time, all the time, God is good, which of course is true. But I sort of feel when Jesus turned up to, like, when he turned up to Lazarus's funeral, and, you know, or Lazarus is already dead, and he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead very shortly, doesn't he? But he still manages to weep with those who are weeping. And I sometimes think we can be weird rather than miraculous at moments like that. This, is, this was a time for serious grief. Anyway, the guy stood up, the husband, and uh, the first thing he said, sometimes I am so devastated I can't breathe. Right? Now that I understand. He says, but I want you to know this. My wife seemed to be improving. Sarah seemed to be improving. But the last day of her life, suddenly her temperature super spiked. And I was asking God what's going on and what was he playing at? Because I was angry with God. And... I just got the absolute conviction, the reason her temperature is spiking, she's now wrestling with an earth-shattering for her issue. Does she go home or does she stay? And it was clear to me, God was not taking her, he was offering her something and giving her the choice, what does she do? And then I got angry with my wife. What the heck do you think you're playing at? We've got two young children, how could you even consider 
that you'd go home. I know we're supposed to think that's better, but how would you do such a thing? And then he felt clearly, no, no, in their married life, those of you that have been to Zimbabwe, you'll know about this, they're in Bulawayo too. It's uh, you know, part of following Jesus, they said, is we do the hard stuff. That's one of their, their mantras. He said, now I know my wife. She'd do the hard stuff. If she's fighting this and not knowing which way to go, then God is showing us something about her future, obviously, and our future that is so huge for her that it's even a question whether she stays or goes. And he said, I chose to believe, and I suddenly got faith for the fact that actually, for some reason I cannot fathom, she needs to go home because somewhere in the plan of God, something out there is so colossal in front of us that we can't understand that she needs me to walk it and do the hard stuff. It's not that she wants to go, but that's what she needs to do. And so he says, I have days when I can't breathe, but I have days also when I know that I am but one piece of sand in the grains of sand that God promised would come. And there is a place and a thing that God is doing that is beyond that, and I need to be at peace for that. And it, it, was, mag- it was magnificent. It, there was a sense, such a sense of God in the room, not an atmosphere, but of authority and peace. And, it, and I thought, that too, by the way, is an incredible miracle that a husband can stand up and be at peace in the midst of such dreadful times. And both things are miracles. And one of the problems we have, I think, sometimes is we keep on asking God why. He didn't tell Job why, by the way, if you just go back. And he's not going to tell us why because he wouldn't understand anyway. I often say this to people. When my dad was killed, uh, when I was 17, if God sat me down at any time and tried to explain to me this is why, what reason could he give that I would say, oh, good. This is a, mo- this is a moment to trust, and that level of faith is miraculous and marvellous to see. So whether it's the incredible healing miracle, or whether it's the incredible peace and love in the darkness miracle, peace that passes understanding, it is at the hand of God, and that's a consistency that I think it was John Wesley who said, many people have been told to say this one anyway, or said, it's been quoted, sorry, you know, our people die well, is that true Jesus people know what it is to rejoice in the midst of suffering, but also to see God break through and get people out of suffering. And we have to live with that, if you like, dichotomy in that move. And so I'm thankful for the song, but just want to remind you of that. God makes the way all the time, whether through the valley of the shadow of death or through the green pastures and the living streams. And that's how we lay hold of him. And with that in mind, one of the things we've been doing, I know some of you have already got this, haven't you? This is uh, Jenny's book. My wife is Jenny. She wrote this book called Spiritual Feasting. And it's about how to feed on God through all the things of life. And there's some amazing stories of people we know and friends of ours in there. And just recently, Jenny can't say this sort of thing, but, uh, but two people said to us, this is the best Christian book they've ever read. Uh, someone else said to us, if you want to laugh, which is my daughter, she said, Mum's writing is absolutely brilliant. Dad, I read something that you wrote and I had to lie down. 
it was, just, it was just too much. So, I mean, you know, it is, it is not just self-praise of all of us. Uh, that's, why I don't, that's why I'm not writing anything. I, I too, think this is a, a brilliant book about to live the genuine Jesus walk through all the highs and lows of life and to know the sun is there, the real sun is there, and you should get hold of it and read it. And that's that, you should get hold of copies of it and then give it to other people as well. In this world, we'll have trouble. But fear not, I've overcome the world. This is an outstanding thing, spiritual feasting. And Jenny, for some reason, unbeknown to me, because apparently it costs 8.99, is prepared to give it to you lovely people for eight quid. I said, no, no, we should charge them 15. They like us here. Well, they did. Anyway, and so, but the good news about eight quid, you see, because I could do math, so you buy five, and that's 40 quid, it's a round number. You know, and then you can give them to other people, especially the folks on Zoom who can't get hold of one today. You know, you may be thinking you should get hold of one of these for them as well, shouldn't you? And it would be a real blessing. And then what you get is you get two things. You get both Jenny in here and you get me today. I'll be shortened the whole book. That's, that's fine. And last but not least, why you should definitely get hold of this book. Jenny has some boxes there. And she even has a card machine, which you've just recently got. So you've got no excuse. Uh, if you don't buy one, your salvation is in jeopardy. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know... I don't, I don't want to put it too strongly, but that's, that's very important. So, so you need to get hold of that and, and read it and give it away, all those sorts of things, and, and be blessed. But last but not least, Jenny spoke to me in the worship and said, actually, it's funny, she wrote a, a training manual for some of the people we know around the world about arrows a while ago. And it was inspired, believe it or not, in the worship here when a prophetic word came here. And then... This book was inspired because we were here one Sunday morning and some gentleman gave a prophetic word about, be prepared, I'm about to unravel you. And so everything that can be unraveled will be unraveled until you truly know me. So that was also came from here. And this inspired Jenny to write this about, in a sense, the unraveling and how we still walk with God. And I know you guys walk this thing out. So here's, here's another reason why you should get the book. You sowed the stuff, you know, here. This is partly your legacy, isn't it? You sowed, this is some of the fruit. Now, it's dumb to sow and not take of the harvest, isn't it? You know, that is really dumb. So here's part of the harvest, at least, of those words. And you know, there will be, the biggest people in the room will be on the door on the way out, and they won't let you out unless you've got a coffee. Got, just, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, and don't think those of you on Zoom are immune to this. People are already on the way. No, they're not. Don't worry. You're safe. You are safe. And uh, spiritual feasting. Make sure you get hold of that. And then uh, from Jenny, I'm just moving to her so she know, know, where, know where you're going to. This, this is her. Oh, yes. Jenny is very keen that we tell you that there's a, a quote from Dr. David Simmons on the back. And, you know, so you really have all the recommendations now. There we go. Thank you for your patience. I'm going to... But that will be a blessing to you, I'm sure. Since we last saw you, uh, you may have noticed that some things happened in the world. Because uh, that means it would be over two years ago now. There was this COVID thing and a lockdown. Uh, one of the things I find quite frustrating about the Christian community, by the way, is with 
prophetic words, how often we hear a prophetic word and we end up treating it like it become, it's an isolated thing. Like it's, yeah, this word comes and there's no history to it, and there's no future to it. Now, God's been speaking from, well, the beginning of time before he spoke creation to being. And so when we hear a prophetic word or a teaching, we need to keep it in, in line with the conversation we've been listening to from God. Because there's, there's a process going on, isn't there? And it's important we get hold of that. It's why Jesus said, for instance, if you didn't listen to Moses and the prophets, you won't listen to me. He meant that very clearly. So if you haven't heard what I've already said, you won't be listening to what I'm about to say. And I say that because there's an awful lot of weird stuff that gets prophesied and said in the name of God, which I'm pretty sure isn't God, because it's not consistent with the conversation that God's been having with us for a long period of time here. And we tonight, so what I want to do today, by the way, I'm going to tell you a bit about our story, but I am going to go back to what I spoke about last time and just continue from there. Now, if you don't remember what I said last time, it's, it's possible you weren't here then, or you're just a filthy backslider. I mean, it could, you know, either of those things could be an option. Those of you who don't know me, I am joking, by the way, that. I mean, you might be a filthy backslider, but that's not up to me to decide, is it? You know. And uh, anyway, so I'm going to go back to there. But since we last saw you, uh, Jenny and I started this back, this is 2019 now, we were traveling around the world because it felt right with all the teams we work with. Uh, to go and call on some of the ones we've not seen before or spent much time with. And so uh, we went, went to Singapore, to Australia, to Japan, uh, to New Zealand, uh, and then from New Zealand up to Canada, uh, and then Canada to the other side of Canada, uh, then to Portugal, and back to England. We went this round-the-world trip. Very carelessly, we both lost parents on the way. Uh, Jenny's dad, I mean, he was expected, by the way. He was 87, had an excellent life. Uh, he died and Jenny had to fly back from New Zealand. We just got, you wouldn't believe it, we got to the, f the very furthest we could get. <laughs> and she had to fly back to, from New Zealand to the UK for, for that. And then I stayed in New Zealand. And when I got to Canada, we heard that my mum had died. But she had been suffering from uh, dementia and we knew she would probably headed soon. Uh, and uh, my brothers had said, you're not to come back if she goes. So it was easy for me, I didn't go back. When I did come back, we had a memorial service for her. Uh, Anyway, so it was, it was, uh, that was the context. And I'm saying that to you because on that trip of visiting around, many words came from people all over the place. They said, the season is going to change for you and Jenny. A season that has been building and building well is going to become a season of heralding, where I'm going to take you around the world again and again to all sorts of places and bring the message and the gist of the things I've taught you over these last decades. And so you're going to enter a season of world travel, which is funny when you consider what happened next. Apart from he also said to us, and before that happens though, there is going to come a time of shaking on the world. We were told that in, in 2019. That don't make plans for 2020-21 because you won't be going anywhere. Now, it's not like we knew it was going to be COVID. Just have that sense, we've had a word like this before, before 9-11, that something's going to happen that will shake everything and you need to be ready for it and it's a time of preparation, a time of sorting you out. And so, as we entered 2020, we were still in South Africa. Uh, and then just before we, uh, sorry, we were, we were in England, but we went to South Africa in January. Three days before we left for South Africa, Jenny got a diagnosis that she had breast cancer. And uh, you know, say, so, well, what on earth did you go to South Africa for? Well, the surgeon said, 
We need to give you medicine first. We're not going to do anything in three months anyway. So go to South Africa for this three months and come back and we will sort it out. Just so nobody's worried here, right? That she is completely clear now, but I know you have to wait five years. And so God was in that and it was, it was, it was a wonderful time in that sense, a wonderful time of seeing God's presence. Uh, and my wife was just outstanding, to be honest, in her attitude and peace. Matter of fact, the children told us off. We have four grown-up children. They kept on saying, you're acting like this is a common cold. It's like you haven't changed anything. Mum's got cancer. Will you please look at Lise like it's serious? And, <laughs> I don't know how you put that on, though. Uh, but we felt God was in it. Then COVID struck, and we were locked in in South Africa, and then repatriated because South Africa said, bugger off. Uh, not personally to us. That would be very rude, wouldn't it? But they sort of said, basically, if you're not a citizen here, get lost. And so we were flown out at great expense by Virgin Atlantic, who probably made a huge amount of money from that. Uh, Back, back to the UK, and then there's been this, well, you know what's happened since then here, which for us, and I'm sorry about this, this, this might make you resent me, but it's one of those things. When we were on the world, world trip, God said to me, next time you travel around the world, you need to have done an album, because someone make a joke about what bands do. You have never put your material, people are asking for material from you all the time, and you've never put it down anywhere, uh, and they know, you remember my daughter's comment, I, can't, I shouldn't be writing, that it's time to do a load of recordings and put it into something that can be used and helpful for other folks. So, and Jenny was meant to carry on with her writing. So when lockdown came, I sort of felt for me, it was God's way of making sure that I didn't do anything else, but I had to get down to it. And uh, matter of fact, someone, someone did say to me, if this turns out to be all your fault, because we ha- all had to be in lockdown, because you had to be in lockdown, we're going to be seriously annoyed with you. Uh, anyway, I'm sure it's not that, but it meant that while I was in lockdown, I felt, well, this is where I was supposed to be. I had to seek God for uh, how I could serve his people and, you know, around the globe. Uh, and at least the rest of you weren't out in the playground, if you know what I mean. Sorry about that. But it made it slightly easier for me, that's all. I'm just going to say that. It's slightly, uh, and we went through this, this whole period. But what was it about in context? And what do I think is happening now? Prophetically, I, I, I genuinely believe this past two years is the likely equivalent of the day that was 9-11. It's a much bigger thing. I, I think we're coming out of the shock of the day, i.e. We're going to, it's going to be ease off and certain things like that. But the consequences of 9-11 we're still feeling, aren't we? And the consequences of what's happening, uh, what's happened to this COVID thing will go on and on. There would, because what was God doing? Well, it's in Hebrews 12. Once more, I will shake the heavens and the earth. So only what comes from the creator can remain. What's created or constructed will fall. This is a period of shaking, which is causing people to ask questions everywhere, I believe rightly so, about what exactly have we built? And that's the problem. Have we built something that isn't really Jesus' church, rather than letting him build his church and us working with him. And so it's a key moment for questions, a key time of shaking. I got encouraged by lots of people um, to put this material together to help people have a map or a roadmap into the future of what God wants to do, which I, I know here this should be common language to you, which is kingdom-driven, not church-driven. One of the fundamental flaws of thinking so often is 
The hope of the world is the church of God. Not just the church of God, but not necessarily the church that we make. And how does the church of God become the church of God? By seeking first the kingdom and being in love with the king. That's how they get there. And when you do those things, you, don't, you can't actually construct something because you don't always know exactly how it's going to work next. Let's face it. Nobody in their right mind would have come up with the way to take Jericho that God told Joshua, would they? Jenny knows if you want to get my goat, because normally I have, a, I have a very slow fuse, but just say something like, yeah, but God gave us common sense, didn't he, or intellect. That, that, that is a phrase that really cheeses me off. Because, okay, let's go back to the scripture now. What is the beginning of wisdom? The what? Yeah, it's not common sense, is it? Or so-called intellect. The amount of stupid things that we've done in the world because of human intellect is almost incalculable. God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. As a matter of fact, we work a lot with training companies as well uh, and leaders there. And one of the CEOs said to me, uh, he's male, uh, so this understands this comment. He said uh, he was complaining about some of his female directors and saying, I wish we could just have a rational conversation. And, uh, yeah, they're always too emotional. I say, do you not think you may be too rational? That's another story. But I said, I said to him, of all the stupid things I've heard you say, that may well be the most stupid of all. Because there is no such thing as a purely rational conversation. No such thing. In every conversation, or even this, where I'm speaking and you're listening, I'll tell you what's going on. There is your past, my past. There is culture you come from culture you've had. There is, you, might have had a, you might have got out of bed the wrong side this morning. There are so many things that come into it. Your previous relationships. In any, in any encounter of communication, rational isn't the deal, which is why we have to be spirit-led. It's not rational to say to a woman you've hardly met before, is it? Start talking about five husbands. I'm talking about Jesus at the well. It's not rational to shout at a wall. It's not rational to spit on someone's eyes. If you don't learn how to walk in and, by, in and by the Spirit, intellect will destroy you. Because it's not wisdom. Often, man's intellect is often the foolishness. Anyway, to be fair to this guy, learning, I said, you need to get on all sorts of things uh, to start to learn the language, not just of the women, but of all people. When they say that, what do they mean? How do you understand it? Almost always, what is presented as a problem is something in front of what the actual problem is. And if you don't get that, you'll never really help people or see them changed. So anyway, back to the, uh, coming back to the, the context here. I think Jenny and I are about to enter into a, a period of travelling again that uh, I think will be based back in Cape Town. I think what God wants, but based in Cape Town. It's not to... And travelling around the world. And hopefully uh, we will come back and see you on a regular basis, if you let us. Uh, and but I'm going to come back now, full circle, to the, the word I felt God had today. Uh, well, actually, the word I felt God had today, I got about four points, but I'm, I, I felt God say to me this morning, just do number one. So before anybody panics, he said he had four points, and we've already been going three hours, and he's not even finished point one. We're not going to go three hours. Don't panic about that either. I'm, uh, you know, it is, we're going to do number one, because I feel God wants to speak to you, obviously, but I don't feel you need another sermon. 
I know it sounds strange, but I don't know, part of travelling around the world, I start, you see more and more, there are people who present stuff, because they've learned how to do sermons, and there are people you think, now they've heard God, and now they're coming to us and bringing what God brought. We really love you guys, and I want to be that latter one. We spent time in the presence of God, and we're bringing what we feel God's saying. And therefore, it, it doesn't need to all fit together, if you like, as a tidy and nice presentation. Uh, and, uh, and anyway, that's a good excuse, isn't it, really? So I'll stick with that one. But I'm going to come back to... The last time I was here, I spoke from Romans 11, uh, and... Well, no, I didn't. Romans 9, sorry. About that very strange verse where it says, uh, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And God seemed to say this, and it was about this whole thing of birthright and blessing, and how Esau despises birthright, which, interestingly enough, in my time with God this morning, was a scripture I got to again, Esau despising his birthright. And the reason this is so important, for those of you at home and those of you who are here uh, and didn't, weren't there last time, and even those who were, and you've forgotten this, is the birth of all evil came from Satan despising his birthright. That's why God hated what Esau did. Because birthright is about receiving the DNA of someone. Satan refused to receive God's DNA and said, I want to be something different from who you've made me. Birthright, therefore, is about life. It's not about the transference of methods or constructs. It's about the transference of the actual life of someone. So when Esau despised his birthright, he was saying, I actually, I despise my parents. I do not want them. I do not want the life. What they've earned and got is what I want. I want the blessing. And he lost that later on as well. He wanted the stuff. He didn't want the person. This is not you, by the way. But I was in one fellowship uh, where I always get worried when God says this. He's never said this about you. I feel like I could chat to you guys. When God says to me when I'm praying, write this down and don't deviate from it. I've only had that happen three times in my life. And every single time, that place or that person has been under judgment. It's their last word. So God said, get it absolutely right. But I went to one place where that's happened. And they were famous, funny enough, for their worship. I mean their music and stuff, really, rather than their worship. Because what I felt God say to me clearly, and what I said to them, your worship actually is pornography. What you want is a thrill without the marriage. You come each week because you want to get some form of orgasm without having to work through what it takes to build a relationship. Atmosphere without bothering about intimacy. Now, you can see why, therefore, God would be super passionate about this. God does want you to enjoy yourselves. He's a loving Heavenly Father, for instance. He does love you. And he wants you to enjoy his presence. There's joy in his presence after all. But most of all, he wants you to want him. And if you just want his blessing, but not his DNA, it's very distasteful to God. He hates it. It came, as I said, from Esau through, the, through where Satan was and so on. When Jesus is talking to the Jews of his day, they said, we have Abraham as our father. And he turns around and says, your father's not Abraham, your father is the devil. See, that's a DNA statement. He wasn't talking about their statement of faith. 
He wasn't talking about the way they did church. He was saying, fundamentally, you do not carry the life of my father. If you carried the life of my father, you would recognize my father in me, wouldn't you? Because life would cry out to the life, but you just don't. By the way, I know it sounds like a hard thing to say, but it's very important to get hold of in these days. Sometimes I think as Christians we've been, uh, we've been led into false security about some things. A false, yeah. Things like tolerance, for instance. You know God isn't tolerant? Let that sink in for a moment. You know why? Because love isn't tolerant. Love is incredibly intolerant. Think about how you want and what you want for your kids. Are you tolerant if things are going to harm them? Are you tolerant, i.e. that, oh, we don't care about the things that will bless them? No, of course you're not. God is a jealous God. But we've, we can sometimes think the God who is love, we replace him with a God who is tolerant. No, love is for the other. And what's the best thing for anybody is that they encounter the God of love, isn't it? So therefore you do what's necessary to help them on that path to meet with him. And what Jesus was saying, and I say that because not everybody, this is the other thing that's come out there, it's like, we're all God's children, aren't we? Well, clearly not. Jesus said, your father's the devil. Either he was just joking, which I suggest in the context would be very unlikely. We are all creations of God. We are not all children of God. You do not become a child of God unless you are born of his life. That's how you become a child of God. Unless the life of God is in you, you don't have him. And what's that? That is living out the life of God coming to you for the first time and then again and again and again is your birthright. Where you rejoice in the fact, not about the blessings, that's almost like an afterthought, but in the fact that I know this young lad, Joel, who's given this amazing testimony, his wife's funeral, he was living out of his birthright at that moment. Because at that moment, there appeared to be no blessing at all. But he was receiving the life of his father and was able to live from that. So blessing, birthright, this is absolutely critical. It's about the DNA of God. One of the difficult questions people have, I was down in Plymouth, not America, but the one down at the bottom end of our country, and with a large group of leaders who we were talking about the institutionalization of church and religion and how bad it was. Now, to be fair to churches, by the way, the institutionalization of anything is bad. I've spoken to the police or high-ranking police officers and say often the system just cripples us. I've spoken to medical professionals that say the same. Uh, churches will say the same. Uh, social care will say the same. Because somewhere back in the past, some good people probably sat down and made a plan for what worked then, and that was fine. They, you know... Some of them may have heard God, some of them not, but that's... But if it becomes institutionalised, we end up obeying the protocols rather than obeying God or what's best for people. That just happens in all walks of life. You know, we have to, we have to live from life. But they asked me this question. So are you saying that all institutional churches are bad? And I said, well, first of all, I wouldn't say that because it's not to me, I'm not the judge of all the earth. Secondly... Depends on your definition of institutional. But thirdly, and most importantly, which is the bit I do want to share to you, don't be confused about God's blessing. One of the great things about God is the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. 
Blessing doesn't necessarily mean you, you, are, you are under the favor of God. It means that God is good, right? But, but here, to you, so you can remember this, where again, whether you're at home or here, are you, and is the work that God's called you to do here, is everything, is it, a child of a plan or a child of promise? Now, if you don't know that story, back in the day, Abraham was promised a son who would be, the, if you like, the way to God providing a people in the earth. His wife had an idea. He decided it was okay, and they made a plan. And Ishmael was born, the child of a plan. Sometime later, when Isaac is born, and it's clear that Isaac is going to be the one through whom God will reckon his offspring, Abraham's upset, and he says, Please, Lord, cannot Ishmael live under my blessing and God says of course I will bless him and I'll turn him into a mighty nation but he still will never be the child of promise he'll never see the kingdom that I am doing come in the way that I intend it to come the promised land is for Isaac the child of promises descendants not for Ishmael's descendants and this can be difficult because we see blessing places sometimes I you know I hear people say this you know, our church grew from, grew from three to 50,000. I'm exaggerating there, you know. Therefore, God must be with us. Well, I don't know. That doesn't, that doesn't make you Isaac. What makes you Isaac is if it was birthed out of the life of God. Only spirit gives birth to spirit. Only spirit gives birth to spirit. So God sometimes will save huge amounts of people because he loves people. So he'll move by his spirit. Paul says this in Philippians 1. He uses this phrase. He said, some people preach Christ out of false motives and some out of true, but I just rejoice that Christ is preached. So he's saying very clearly there, people can be very much out of the will of God and still see the blessing of God because God is good. The question is still birthright or blessing. Is it the life of God that you're receiving and the life of God you're, you're passing on? Child of plan or child of promise? I know this is a difficult one for some folks to get hold of because they, uh, you know, I come back to my saying, they say, God gave us common sense, God gave us intellect, you know, we, uh, we do this. Are you, t- are you saying we're supposed to come to Jesus at every, everything we do and say, what should we do, left or right, all the time? That'd be some other sort of horrible religion as well, wouldn't it? If you were doing that every second of the day. Thankfully, I have grown up children now who... The way they, if you like, follow their father's will, obviously I'm not God, but the way they follow their father's will is you know it's in them already. So they flow from that. They flow out of the communion of the relationship. If they started ringing me up all the time asking what they should do next, I'd be really annoyed. (laughs) So I don't think God's saying that, that it's supposed to be like that. But let me try and explain to you what it is like. And I want to twin this in Hebrews 4 uh, as well, with this entering God's rest, which doesn't mean you just sit on your butt and do sod all. It says, those who enter God's rest, it says, have ceased from their own works. They haven't ceased from work. They ceased from their own work. Jesus worked very hard, night and day, prayed through the night. But what he was doing, you see, was, I only do what I see the Father doing. He was entering into God's work. 
That's where life comes, because there's a flow from him. And so, what we need to get hold of, what was I saying there about that? Uh, oh yes, John 13. It's Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Because this helps us. How, how do we live this out? Peter, to be fair, is like most of you and me. Jesus comes and says, I want to bless you, I want to wash your feet, I'm going to look after you. And we go, whoa, we should bless you first. Let us wash your feet. True or not true? Isn't that so often our response? This is inappropriate. Your God figure to say, John the Baptist had the same problem. You should be baptising me. Listen very, very carefully, because this is, a, this is actually, it's, it's graciously given out of love, is a stern warning from Jesus. This is what he says when Peter says that. If you don't let me wash your feet or bless you first, what? You have no part of me. Thinking that somehow we start by we offer to God is what all religions in the world do. And it's definitely not to be the, the relationship with Jesus. Peter was wrong, seriously wrong. But we copy that mistake all the time. You know, we come up with a plan or an idea or something we should do, because we're achievement-based often in our culture, and then somehow we ask God to come upon it. Because he does bless Ishmael, he can still bring blessing. But the promise comes from that which is birthed, not with that which we construct. And so, let me put it this to you. How do you enter God's rest? How do you walk with Jesus all the time? How is it a communion of life? Breathe in. He washes my feet. Breathe out. Now do this for others. Breathe in. Breathe out. Because you breathe all the time, don't you? It's learning a lifestyle of communion with him where everything you do is let the peace of God rule in you. So it's not, what should I do next? It's a breathe in. I get a sense of you. Breathe out. I'll help. One of the massive mistakes I regularly make, uh, and I think God has changed me on this, is I do breathe in, breathe in, breathe out for the first bit. You hear God and we move. The scripture says to the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, having begun in the spirit, you now continue in the flesh. The problem is, is when we hear from God often, a breathe in moment, we then breathe out for way too long. You know, because we just keep on going. No, no. The ark back to Jerusalem. I know I'm moving all over the scriptures here. If you don't know all these scriptures, I'm sure the lovely people here will explain some of these things, but these are principles. They heard from God. Bring the presence of God, the ark, to the city of God, the people. And so they brought the ark up, and then David, King David back then, he built this cart to put the ark on. In other words, he breathed in, heard God. Then he kept on breathing out. We'll look after God here. We'll look after him. We'll do the right thing. We'll take, the, we'll take this ark in the cart. He got somebody killed, and he stopped blessing coming to Israel for that period. Eventually, when they did it right, because God does want that to happen, by the way, he wants the presence of God in you to go to every part of this community and further afield. The life of God to come into the city. Everywhere. Art, media, medicine, law, the lot. The kingdom of God coming so the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. How does it happen? Well, this time, it gets carried by the priests, who in our realm, the New Testament, is the priest of all believers, doing what? Every few steps, sacrificing and seeking God. 
That's the Old Testament picture. Breathe in. Let's hear God. What's the next step we take? Let's hear God in terms of that peace. There's some strange stories with King David, things that you think were obvious. Just to, just to extra prove this, if I put it that way. He comes back from fighting with the Philistines, or almost going to fight with the Philistines, and finds that all the people have been stolen. His wife, his children, the goods have been carried off. And the question is, should we chase after them? And what David does is something very strange. Tell me here, anybody really, well actually don't tell me, just think about this yourself. We don't want a free-for-all now on this one. Your wife and children have been stolen and taken off, and you stop to ask God whether you should chase but he did. Because he knows that if he doesn't hear from God, he could chase after them and lose them. Or if he waited, it may be that God has a plan and he knows where they're going to be. The point is, has to come from life to beget life, doesn't it? And this is what I'm saying to you about everything. The birthright is life to life. It's about, is this the life of God? Do we breathe in? We breathe out. We breathe in. We breathe out. Just so you know, practically, whenever I'm speaking like this, and I didn't used to do this, and that was a wrong mistake. I used to speak, I used to get a word from God, prepare the message, and if I'm honest, I think by the time I stood up and started to give it, I was then breathing out the whole time. It was like, I've got this word, you're going to get it. Which meant sometimes I preached for far too long, I preached about the wrong subjects, I did all those sorts of things. One of the things God has taught me is right, right now, I am having a conversation this way, as well as this way. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. Which is why God has mercifully said you don't have to have all the points today. Give thanks. Right? <laughs> we do one at a time on that one. Anyway, I'm not even getting through the first point because I'm assuming I must be coming up to a finish soon. Was it 12 o'clock? 12 o'clock. Well, the good news is, if this was God you'll have me back and we'll carry on. If you didn't like it and it wasn't God, well, that's your problem. I don't want to do about that. Basically, what I've done is the intro. I'm just going to finish off this last piece of intro and mention some of the headings then because, because it's an ongoing thing. And the great thing is, because you guys hear God anyway, he can tell you. One of the things I was uh, looking at during this time is why is there... Well, I'll tell you where I'm going first, sorry, because we're not going to go there. I was going to go, this whole morning was going to be about, in uh, Romans 11, for from him and through him and to him are all things. So where we need to get to in practical steps is looking at how we live from God, how we walk with him and with each other, and how we disciple people, how that process goes. But in down-to-earth stuff that you can follow and act upon from him, right? That's where we're going to go. Which is why, when the gentleman at the back interpreted the tongue, I thought, that's right, that's exactly what the subject is. He fills everything. Basically, and this was going to be the end of things, but I'll say it now, just so you know where we're headed. I've known John for a long time and have a great, deep respect for who John is as a person and as a man of God. One of the things I've always known about him is his king and kingdom motivation. And, and here's the thing, though. To follow in the DNA not just of God, but of your forefathers, you know, John here, you'll be kingdom people. But unless it's from him, through him, and for him, it ain't the kingdom. I don't care what your plan is. 
I don't mean from, through, for John. <laughs> I think he's lived that out. From, through, and for Jesus, God. That's, that's what it says in Romans 11. Look it up. Romans 11, 36, you can find it yourself. It ain't kingdom. So you can debate all you like, but we've got to have to get to the point where our culture changes from a Christian culture to genuinely a Christ culture, where he's our hope of glory and it comes from within to without. Now, I'm going to do the last thing I had down in my intro, which just goes to show how ill-disciplined I am on the one hand, or maybe this is how God wanted to time it. Because I've got one more thing to say, and then I want to tell a, tell a story, and then we'll finish, okay? Uh, and we'll pray that God continues to speak on this one. The first one's a bit of a question, really, that I've, I've been thinking on a lot. Partly to do with seeing people saved. But nowadays, we're, we're in a very confused world, whether it be gay, straight, trans, all sorts of things going on. Right is left, left is right, the whole, whole thing. Uh, I don't want to go there this time, but I just want to say, remember, we, we proclaim Christ. We don't proclaim morality. Right? We proclaim Christ. He, otherwise, nothing will change anyway, whatever our end view is. That's very important. What is wrong, therefore, and how does God want to help us become who he wants us to be, to be the hope of the nations? And I thought one of our problems is this, uh, especially in Western Christianity, but probably everywhere, we still have a largely in, in Christendom a new covenant Christ in an old covenant body. And I'm not going to spend, I'm just going to spend a sentence or two explaining that as we come to the end of the time. I just want to say, uh, say this. What do I mean by that? A new covenant Christ, and yet predominantly Christendom, as I said, especially in the West, dwells in a synagogue temple type of structure. It's the reference point. It's Old Covenant, it's Old Testament. The New Covenant is parents, families, brothers, sisters. That's not saying how you should meet, by the way. This is not about what model you should use, I'm just saying. There is... Uh, <laughs> I do want to be personal here. I was told yesterday, because John Aaron puts in his book, so it's not a secret, that uh, he really hates buildings, right? And yet you guys keep owning buildings and buying buildings, you know, so that's, that's quite funny, really. Uh, but you see, I think God can trust John with buildings. You see, because the thing is, you see, he hasn't got a building culture. He's not got an old covenant culture. He hates building because he has a new covenant culture. And if you have a new covenant culture, buildings are useful tools rather than prisons. But the number of places I've been, they buy stuff and then it dictates every policy from then on. There is the problem. The problem is not to have or to have not buildings. The problem is what's here. If it's in you, you are screwed, sorry. <laughs> Unless you have a kingdom culture, it will own you. And when I talk about John's legacy of DNA, remember that. His pioneering, his actually moving by the Spirit, his starting things even when his own people around him, like some of the movements he's been in, were re rejecting. He boldly went where no man went before in following God, and not always with applause, because that's the way that works. The second thing, the, we've got an old covenant priesthood. Everywhere you go, there's usually one person representing all the people. The new covenant's a priesthood of all believers. When, when on earth are we going to get there? 
And because what we need is that so many people need to be reached and to disciple them and to help them, people usually need one-on-one -on -one help. Or it needs to be far more intimate. You can't do this stuff en masse. Up here, I feel like I'm just announcing what God is saying. To do what God is saying requires one-on-one -on -one, all the time for everybody. And then you, you can't have a few superstars doing that. God is looking for you, every one of you, to become the priest and the king he called you to be. Subject for next time, if I come back. <laughs> I'm sure you will let me back, but you know, let's... But the biggest of all, and then I'll finish off with the story. I'm slightly over 12 now, but I'm coming to an end. I'm landing the plane. This is where my real passion comes. My uh, second uh, eldest daughter works with disabled children, or other abled. One of the things she's changed our lives about is a lot of the children who I've actually held in my arms or played as well, uh, you know, she says, watch their eyes, they live loved and they give love. She said, frankly, when I look at the life of what Jesus wants for us, maybe we're the disabled ones. Because they know <laughs> they're loved unconditionally uh, and they give love unconditionally. The young lad who she was working with last year, he died, but in his short life, uh, he changed so many people. Even the nurses said, we only know him have two ways of expression. He was either in such serious pain that he's on medication to keep him alive, or his eyes lit up the room with love and laughter. And I mean, it's arguable then, like I said, <laughs> there was a way in which he was alive and many of us aren't. And, but I was thinking this, he couldn't speak, he couldn't move, really bad case of cerebral palsy. Uh, and how does Jesus reach people like that? That's on one side. Or if someone's claiming to be trans or anything else, how, do you really think just arguing your case is the answer? What they actually need to encounter the living God, right? In both cases. Because you know what? Whether you're free and unable to do anything, or whether you're from any persuasion, right, what you need is to meet him. We were talking to someone once who was saying, a missionary kid, who said, I often doubt my faith. I said, that's the problem. You have a faith instead of a relationship. One person seems right until another comes along and puts a better argument. And here's the kicker for the third thing about the Old Covenant thing, and it's the, mass and the biggest one. Remember nothing else, remember this. The gospel is not a message. I know this might sound strange. It's a person. When the apostles said, we preach Christ, they didn't mean, you know, in the Old Testament, they didn't quite explain him right. So in the New Testament, we're going to explain him better because it's a new covenant. No, no, we're not explaining him better. We're introducing him. When they said, we preach Christ resurrected, it's he's alive, now meet him. Now, you can't do that unless it comes from him and through life. The angel didn't show up at Bethlehem to the shepherds and say the same thing. You know what? Bad news, guys. All I want to tell you is those Old Testament prophets, they saw dimly, so they explained it. Now, listen carefully. Here's the way you're supposed to explain God from now on. No. It's the king has come. That's what the good news is. All that's wrapped up in the majesty of the good news you know, fellowship with God, fellowship with one another, reconnecting with the creation, bringing his rule so that love, peace, joy starts to come back in. It's wrapped up, there's this, if you don't meet him and know him, you know, it doesn't come. If you do, it does. And no matter what state of play a person is in, 
if they encounter Jesus, they can experience complete transformation. And we have turned the gospel into another philosophy, another religious message that we just think is better than what the opposition's got. Sometimes when I listen to people say they're bringing the gospel, it's just a different set of rules from when I hear the imams doing it in Islam. What is different is the difference between Jesus, who is God, and Muhammad and Buddha and everybody else and atheism that are not. One carries a life, the other has death in it. It's not a different philosophy. If we do not grasp the absolute critical nature of bringing Christ to people by the Holy Spirit, we are done for. And you should do something else. The message of the gospel is Christ. We preach Christ crucified. What the apostles did, they helped show you Christ and speak from Christ so that you'd meet him and then they, they helped hear from him so you'd put it into practice and you'd learn what they learned. Right, story, finished. By the way, I have a notebook, by the way, to protect you. Because the notes aren't what I preach from, because probably like John and others who've walked with God a long time, if I stood here and said all the things I think about this subject, well, you would be here to kick off next week. I put the things I feel God's told me to say, so to, to, to protect you, so I'm trying to be nice. I may not succeed, but that's the idea here. Anyway, just recently, uh, I was handed a book by a friend of ours in Wales, because during the lockdown, when it, when it eased off a bit, we travelled around the UK to meet those teams. And uh, it was called I Can Write. After you've bought Jenny's book, buy this one. <laughs> I Can Write, E-Y-E, -E, I Can Write. And it's by a guy called Jonathan Bryce, whose parents, one was a vicar, uh, and obviously a vicar's wife. <laughs> and... Uh, Basically, uh, when he was in the womb, his mum was in a car crash and he ended up with really bad cerebral palsy, a bit like the young lad uh, that Elspeth was looking after. He couldn't speak and he couldn't move much at all. And obviously the family were devastated, that's how the story starts. Uh, but the mother kept on saying, kept on saying to everybody who would listen, I know he's in there. I know he's in there, I don't believe that what we're seeing is who he is. And this carried on for eight years, very difficult, because he was in that hospital, in comas, all sorts of things. They kept on having to make a decision, do we turn off life support or not? And they kept coming back. Very moving stories in there. Sometimes he said he regularly, when he was in a coma, he would find himself in heaven talking to Jesus and playing with his dead friends, who were no longer dead, who were there with Jesus. And I mean, it is very moving. As people found me reading this book, I was, I was in an absolute mess. But anyway, still not the point. When he was about eight, one of his nurses said, I think we're missing something here, because I'm watching his eyes, I think he understands everything we're saying. And she started getting pictures and boards. Long story short, they found storyboards, they found a computer, and with his eyes, he could look at words and things, and they were able to put things together. By the time he was 12, he's written this book, Could I Could Write. And I'm telling you, it's not a kid's book, not just because I'm a lousy writer, I couldn't write it, it is a work of brilliance, absolute anointed brilliance, and about his walk with God. And in it, even as a poem, where if you read it one way, he says, this poem is how everybody sees me and what's so difficult. Now read it backwards. It's how I see the world. And in the same poem, you get both things. It's just, a, it's genius. Still not the point. I read it, was deeply moved. This would be the point. As I came to the end of it, and to be honest, I mean, I was 
I was sobbing. It was so moving, I felt, for me in, in this, reading this, this thing. I felt Jesus say to me, this is me. I said, what do you mean this is you? He said, I need people who will believe and not give up on the fact that I am in there. But my body and my representation is broken and doesn't know how to communicate. And I need a people who will give me a voice and will give me a way to show who I am to the world. And how do we do it? Just like they did with him. You have to look into his eyes. 2 Corinthians 3. As we behold him, we become like him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It's not a one-off thing. The way they heard Jonathan speak, they looked into his eyes, they saw what he was passionate about, they saw what he looked at, and they followed the life and the passions of Jonathan to get the life and the message of Jonathan. The kingdom of God comes from intimacy, not from intelligence. It comes from his promise, not from a plan. And the challenge to you guys and to me and to all of us is God is looking for a people that will be unshakable because they've fixed their eyes on Jesus, not as a method, but because they're in love. And they know he's real. Whether the, the expression of his body says so or not, whether the clouds are over or not, the sun is shining and we will not give up until we've seen all the time, we breathe in, what he's looking at, what he's passionate for, what he's looking for us to do. And that is, if you like, the starting point for who from, who with, and who for. Notice very clearly there, what for is not even on the list. I'll tell you why. It's not that nothing happens, but what is a product of the first three. If you haven't sorted out who, everything else is meaningless. If you haven't learned how to love, then it counts one city for nothing. Right? If it's not from faith, that's coming from trusting in him, it is sin. Now, I think we just culturally just really struggle with this. If it's not coming from him, you're wasting your time. So how do we learn to intimacy, not a plan, intimacy and receiving, not achieving? You want fruit, it will come. And uh, yeah, well, let me just let me pray then for you guys and for me. Well, Jesus says, uh, I mentioned right at the beginning, actually, you died there, you hung there, <laughs> giving up everything. Your soul you surrendered, your spirit you surrendered, your body you surrendered for us. But absolutely not so that we would live from good and evil. But they we would live in relationship with you. I pray you'd open our eyes, you'd open our ears, whether on Zoom now or here, uh, to that joyful walk with you, whether it be sometimes through the valley of the shadow of death, or sometimes by still waters, or sometimes into battle, that we'd breathe you in so that we're able to breathe you out and be the aroma of life. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last comment. Again, this is free just to say to you, just to think about this as well on this whole subject. Everything went wrong in the garden when we chose the gift of discernment instead of the God of discernment. Nothing's changed. 
There's two ways you go. You're either living out of his life, the God of discernment, or you're living out of some sort of ability, even if you think it comes from him, of working out what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. Those are the two paths. There is no other path. May you, may you find the God of discernment and walk intimately with him. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at lifelineuk.com.